It's great to be with you all this morning. Many of you were together with us last night as we ushered in this season of Eastertide. And we're here again this morning to celebrate this great hope that we profess as Christians. The hope of the church. The heart of the good news that we have to share with the world. That Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. That death couldn't hold him. That he rose from the dead. And it's a radical hope because dead people don't rise from the grave. Everybody knows that. It's not something that's up for question. But the heart of our faith and the heart of our hope is that actually Jesus did rise bodily, physically, in a real sense. And he rose from the dead to bring us to life. And this is the news that the angels announced to the women at the tomb, in this case in Luke 24, 6, where they say, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. I'll never forget an Easter morning uh, a number of years ago when um, we had been teaching our toddler daughter at the time about Easter and about the joyous occasion of Jesus rising from the dead. And as I walked into her room on Easter morning before she had gotten out of bed, she looked at me with a rather disappointed look and said, I thought I was going to see Jesus. (laughs) Um, Yeah, my daughter's confident faith that Easter morning contrasts greatly honestly, with the consistent element of surprise that Luke narrates for us in the 24th chapter, the one chapter that he deals with the resurrection in his gospel. They didn't expect it. They were surprised. And so we get that that word of surprise all over in Luke's gospel. The women were perplexed at the empty tomb. The apostles, after the women came back, they wouldn't believe the women's testimony. They thought it was an idle tale. And then Peter goes and sees the tomb empty, sees the cloths lying there, and he too is perplexed and amazed. Then the two on the road to Emmaus were surprised by Jesus. They didn't get it. They didn't recognize it. And then finally the disciples in the upper room were startled and frightened, we're told, when Jesus appears in their midst. Even though as Luke is at pains to tell us in his account of the resurrection, the resurrection did happen according to the scriptures. Notice what he says in the first uh, encounter here at the tomb. The angel says to the women, after saying, why do you seek the living among the dead? They say, remember um, how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And then on the way to Emmaus, Jesus explains the scriptures to teach these two disciples, Cleopas and his wife most likely, That actually he was supposed to rise and it was according to God's word. And yet they didn't see it. And so they were surprised in disbelief and shocked. And I want to submit that our response this morning may not mirror that of my daughters long ago, but perhaps that of those in this first story. You might be sitting here and think to yourself, these people are crazy. This is just religious hot air. This is all made up. This just, there's no way this could happen. Maybe like the disciples after they heard from the women and say, this is an idle tale. I mean, you guys are getting excited about it, but I don't really get it. Dead people don't rise. And that's probably going on in some of our minds here. My question to you back, though, is what if they do? What if they do rise? What if Jesus did rise from the dead? That is the proclamation of the church. The proclamation of God's word. In fact, that is the nail on which everything else in the Christian faith hangs. It's the stake in the ground upon which all that we profess here today, all that we believe in our daily lives depends. 
And we believe as Christians in the church that there is great historical evidence pointing to the reality of this event. That it's not just hot air and that the biblical stories of resurrection are not just wishful thinking or the wishful inventions of his earliest followers who wanted to believe so deeply that he was alive. And so they fabricated these stories. And we'll look at why this is the case in a few weeks together. But this morning, I I want to invite you all, whether you're a devout believer or a hardened doubter, here with us this morning, to join me at the two final meals in Luke's Gospel. We've been considering meals with Jesus in the Gospel of Luke throughout our Lenten journey. And this Easter morning, it's fitting for us to finish that journey by looking at the final two meals that Luke narrates regarding Jesus. Because these two meals, when brought together, reveal something powerful and deep and significant that we're celebrating today about this event, about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So the first meal happens in the encounter that we didn't read. Luke uh, uh, recounts three stories after the resurrection. The first one at the tomb when the angel meets the women. The second one, the road to Emmaus. When Cleopas, the other disciple, most scholars think it was his wife, are walking the seven miles, disappointed seven mile journey back to Emmaus. Having set their hopes on this man Jesus, having thought that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel, they watched him be crucified on a Roman cross, be publicly humiliated and shamed. And they were distressed and they were discouraged. Jesus walks up alongside of them. They don't recognize him. And he begins to ask them why they're so downcast. And they tell him the events. And they say, are you the only one who doesn't know what happened? As if he didn't know what had happened. And then Jesus begins to recount for them all that the scriptures have said concerning himself. And then they, as good Uh, people in the first century Jewish culture would do when they got to the town, they invited him into their home and said, stay with us for the evening. The stranger. What do you do when you invite somebody into your house? You have a meal, especially in that culture, but also in ours as well. And they sit down with this strange guest at the table. And and then Jesus takes the bread and and, and the, the same four words are used that we looked at last week in the Last Supper. He takes it, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it to them. And then it says in verse 31, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. There's a biblical echo in this account. And Luke is masterful at these echoes, particularly of the Septuagint, of the Greek version of the Old Testament. And there's an echo in this account, in that verse there, of the first meal that ever took place in human history, the first meal that's ever recorded. And after that meal, when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, their eyes were opened as well. And they encountered a knowledge that they didn't want. And they were naked and they were ashamed and they hid. And in that first meal, they were the pathway through which sin and brokenness and evil enters God's creation. But here at this meal, 
with these two disciples, their eyes are opened to a wonderful and long-desired knowledge. That this man that they had pinned their hopes upon, this man that they had heard was eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors and was welcoming them to his table, that this man who was proclaiming that God's reign would be coming through him, that this man was alive again. What a great knowledge for them. They say in a few verses that their hearts burned within them as as this one opened up the scriptures to understand what had been written about him. So what Luke is saying in this account of this first meal is that the great exile of sin and death that was entered into the human race and into the world at that first meal of history is now being undone. It has been undone. It's been unwoven. The mess has been untangled. And a pathway has been opened up for God's new creation life to work itself out. His new creation purposes to work themselves out in this world now. There's a second reason this meal says that. If you like counting things, which scholars like to count things, this is the eighth meal with Jesus in Luke's gospel. John does this masterfully in his gospel as well about the eighth day. But the eighth, the number eight is so significant and important because it's the first day of the new week. The old creation has finished. And a new creation is born. A new week is begun. A new meal is had in a new world for the first time. And at the heart of this meal, and why this is so beautiful in terms of the continuity, when we see that take, break, take, bless, break, and give is because in Luke 9, when Jesus did that, he fed the 5,000 from himself. And in Luke 22, when Jesus does that, he feeds his disciples symbolically from his own flesh, from his body. And now in Luke 24, he says, my new creation world is going to be a world in which I feed and sustain and, and nurture you as my people. In which your life depends on my life. In which you live because I live. So he takes, blesses, breaks, and gives that bread which symbolizes his body as his first meal on the eighth day in the new world. Which means that there's an invitation in this Easter event and weekend for all of us to enter in to this new world, to live into this new reality this new creation life that Jesus offers for us. To put away sin and death that were dead in Christ on the cross and to embrace this new resurrection life that Jesus has come to bring as King over all. Because the resurrection declares that all those meals that we had walked through and that he had had throughout Luke's Gospel were not bogus. They weren't weren't, uh, empty promises, but they were true. Jesus did come to gather the lost sheep And to bring us home and to embrace us with that great love of the Father's arms for that prodigal son who had wandered off into sin and death. And Jesus came to make this a reality. And this resurrection says that that is true. But there's a second meal. To further address the doubters among us. Because you might say, well that sounds great. That Jesus made and inaugurated this new creation that he opened up the pathway to something new. But when I look around, all I see 
is death and destruction and devastation. And when I look at my life, all I feel is despair and pain and sorrow and suffering. And so that sounds really good, but, but why do you, how do you know that's true? Where's the proof for that? Maybe this is just some kind of ghost floating around, but not really anything about a new world. The second meal, Luke narrates for us, the third encounter. Jesus enters this room with the disciples. I want to recount this again. So they, <clears throat> they were talking about these things, and then Jesus stood among them and said, Peace be with you. But they were troubled, startled, and frightened, and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your hearts? There it is, the doubting work of man, right there, still with us today. See, he says. What does he say, though, to that? He says, see. See my hands and my feet? Presumably to see the marks of the scars. That it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? This is the second meal. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it before them. The point of this encounter, that's running through every syllable in this encounter, is that ghosts and spirits do not eat fish. Only flesh and blood eats fish fish, which is exhibit A in our declaration that the world is being made new, because right here in Jesus, in his flesh and bone, in his flesh and blood, the new creation has begun. That's what Luke is saying, that the proof of this new creation meal that happened on the Emmaus Road is now sitting before the disciples eating fish, which says that all the decay an atrophy, an unwinding that you're witnessing in your own body as you grow old and in creation around you as you watch things go from beautiful to old, your white picket fence to gray, everything just moving from one direction to the other. Jesus' flesh, his resurrection flesh, is the proof to us that that process that's happening throughout creation has been decisively defeated and reversed and there is physical proof of a new resurrection, new creation kind of matter in the world. Which says that the God who started at the beginning and said in the beginning God made the heavens and the earth, he spoke it into being. The God who made creation is the God who will remain faithful to creation. And not allow it to be thrown away and discarded. But will transform it by his life-giving spirit and power. He will not let sin and death have the final word. He will make all things new. And this body that eats fish. Is the demonstration. And the proof of that. To the disciples. And then as they go out and bear witness. And that's why it was so important that the church spread this good news. First and foremost through eyewitness testimony. 500 people, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection. You don't write something like that because people can go and and discount that. And they go and they spread because they've seen the new creation. They've seen it in the flesh. And that means that their own flesh will not end in the way that it's going right now. Which means, quite simply, that the vision that we're given in Revelation 21 
a beautiful vision of a world that God has infused with His life-transforming grace and power. A world where death is no more. Where there is no more crying, no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering. You get that? All of those things that are moving that direction, that are the signs and witnesses to that kind of atrophy and decay, those things are gone. And Jesus says in that passage in Revelation 21, Behold, I am making all things new. And the first thing that was made new was his flesh. And he ate fish to prove it to you and to me and to his disciples who were still doubting and to say, this is happening. The the curse of exile and sin and death has been undone. And that's where our meals with Jesus draw to a close. In this resounding affirmation of Easter morning that the creation is not going to end in death and decay. But in beauty In life, remember in Genesis 1, it's teeming with life and order and beauty and harmony. And that's where it's headed. And those of you here this morning who are united with this Jesus by faith, symbolized in our baptisms, which we will do the sacrament of baptism in a moment, you are landing in that destination. You have a place in that future, beautiful, new creation, substantive world. Thanks be to God. Amen.